0: In Philippians 2.29, we are commanded to honor people like Epaphroditus. Are you obeying that command? Who are the people you honor? And how do you express that honor? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. The whole congregation sat in stunned silence at the news. You could hear a pin drop. On the one hand, they were glad to hear that Paul was at least still alive. I mean, that was great. After going so long without hearing anything from him, a lot of them figured that Paul was dead. I had a feeling, though, that he was alive. When they announced that he was in prison, though, my heart just sank. And that means he's going to appear before that maniac Nero. And I can't imagine that's going to go well. My mind is filled up with thoughts about what it must be like for him sitting in that prison in Rome. You know, it's a lot different than what you think of as a prison. Back in our day, the state didn't supply warm clothes and food and all that. That had to be supplied by your friends and family. I I wonder, does Paul have someone there in Rome? Who can do all that for him? Who will do it? The more they talked about it, the more I sat there and my heart just ached for Paul. And not just for Paul, but for the work of the gospel. What's going to happen to the work now? What's going to happen to the gospel? I mean, this is Paul. This is just a major blow. Anyway... The silence actually started to give way as all the rest of the folks began to wonder out loud the very same things I was thinking. And so there's a little bit of a murmur, rumble of conversation, but right back to dead silence when the pastor looked straight at us and then dropped the bomb on us. He started by saying, well, once again, you've all been incredibly generous. I I know some of you are even struggling to put food on the table. And yet this offering that you took for that we took for Paul, it's so generous. Just like all the other times, this is going to be enough money to really take care of Paul for quite some time. And, you know, when he announced that everybody's real happy about that part. What caused the silence was the next thing he said. He said what we all knew. Looked at the money and he just said, obviously, this money isn't going to do Paul any good sitting here. Somebody's got to take it to Rome. And that, you know, like I say, we all knew that, obviously, just like all the other times we had an offering for Paul. We had, somebody had to take it. But, but those times, Paul was straight here in Macedonia. Now, he's 800 miles away. I mean, going to take this money, that's going to be a big deal. That means somebody's going to have to walk all day, every day for like a month and a half. Cross all the way across Macedonia, cross the Adriatic Sea, cross all the way across Italy. It's going to be an arduous trip, dangerous trip. I mean, carrying that much money, that's not safe. It's not like you've got a Wells Fargo truck or something. I mean, whoever takes that money, I'll tell you right now, they better have a sword with them and they better know how to use it. But even scarier than that, what about Rome? I mean, what about when you get there? I mean... Nero has Paul in prison for preaching the gospel. What's going to happen to somebody that goes there to help Paul? I mean, what good is it going to do Paul if one of us just joins him on death row? All these thoughts are racing through my head. And as I was thinking all that, I just found myself on my feet going forward. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't help it. I realize this means I'm going to have to quit my job. I'm going to have to say goodbye to my friends and my family, maybe forever. People I love. Leave the home I love. It's dangerous, it's scary, it's all that, but I, I, there just isn't any question in my mind. I've got to go. I've got to go. There's just no way I'm going to leave Paul sitting there in prison in Rome without any help. I'm going. I may not be a preacher or a leader or a teacher or any have any special gifts or anything flashy, or anything, but I can carry a bag from point A to point B. And so I'm going. And so even before I realized... What I was doing, I heard words coming out of my mouth. I'll go. And I was committed. And, and I told him, not just to drop off the money, I'm going and I'll, I'll stay there. Long term. However long, as long as I can be of use to Paul. That's what I'm gonna do. Well, it took a couple of days for me to, you know, get all my stuff in order and everything ready and so, anyway, the journey went well for the first week or so. We made, we had made it, I think maybe about 80 miles outside of Berea, and then it hit. And that's when I started going downhill. And I'll tell you, I have never been that sick. We we made it to this little village where there was a doctor, and he told me he just told me flat out, go home, go back home. You need to get if you go home, get some bed rest. You you'd probably be all right. But if you keep going, you try to cross the Adriatic, you try to go, across, you, you you won't make it halfway to Rome. You'll be in a coffin. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is what the doctor told him, and we told, we pled with Epaphroditus, come on, man, you gotta go back home. Be reasonable. I mean, what, can it, what good is it gonna do Paul if you die trying to cross the Adriatic Sea somewhere? And we, 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 we tried to talk to him, but Epaphroditus just kept talking about Paul and the work of the gospel, and it asked him, you have gotta do this, and he just, there was no reasoning with him. So we kept going. We kept plugging ahead. You know, we'd walk five, six hours, and then Epaphroditus would collapse in a heap, and we'd have to stop and rest. And the farther we got, the worse it got. And until finally, it was getting pretty obvious. Our dear friend Epaphroditus, he wasn't going to make it. it didn't look like it. And, you know, in those days, we didn't have medical care like you have. I'm telling you, back then, when someone got that sick, they almost never recovered. Very, very rare that someone would get that sick and ever get better. It just didn't happen. So we you know, we shed a lot of tears. Paphroditus, he was a good man. man so young, so, so heartbreaking that something like this would happen. There was this real nice couple that we met. They were coming the other way uh, and they told us they were going to pass through Philippi and so we asked them, would you please just give the news, tell them what happened to Paphroditus so they so they know. And they said they would. Well, we actually finally did make it to Rome. You know, Epaphroditus, he's the one tough guy. He's amazing. I've never seen anyone push ahead like that when they were that sick. But he was determined he was going to get that gift to Paul or die trying. I don't know if that's exactly how it happened. That's a... A possible scenario that fits all the data that we have. I'm not sure exactly what what all happened, but I can tell you this. Here's what we do know. Epaphroditus did almost die of his illness. But the reason he almost died from that illness was because he intentionally made a decision that put his life at risk. You can see that, see in verse 27 there, Philippians two twenty-seven, he says, uh, indeed he was ill and almost died, but then look at verse 30. He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. So it's not just that he happened to get sick and almost died, he, he almost died because he made a decision knowing that that decision would put his life in jeopardy. Why? Why did Epaphroditus make that decision? Because he was just like Timothy. He put the interest, the spiritual interests of others ahead of his own personal interests. One thing you'll notice if you read through this chapter is that the first half of chapter 2 is loaded with commands. The second half of the chapter, there are none except for in one verse. Right at the very end, verse 29, This is the only thing that we're told to do in this whole section. Verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. That's the command. Honor men and women who are like Epaphroditus. Welcome them with great joy and honor them. The church in Philippi is a great church, probably the best church in the world, as far as we know, at the time. Uh, I think Paul's favorite church. Uh, But they're having a problem with disunity. Because of selfishness. The people are starting to become selfish, and selfishness leads to bickering and fighting 100% of the time, guaranteed. And so Paul hears about that. He begs them at the beginning of the chapter. He's just like, if you've received any kindness from God at all, if Jesus has ever been a little bit nice to you, just please come together in unity as a church. And here's what it looks like coming together in unity. Here's what that looks like. Look at verse three. Philippians 2, three doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, considering others more important than yourselves, each of you looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's not easy, right? It's, it's hard. It goes against all of our natural instincts. It goes against everything the culture tells us to do. How is it even possible to live that way? What does it even look like for a person to live where your interests are more important than mine? Paul says, you want to know what that looks like? Just look at Jesus. And then he just shows us Jesus doing that. And if that example seems a little bit out of reach, <laughs> and you need something a little more down to earth that you can actually relate to, look at Paul. That's the next example he gives. And he gives his own own example he, about how he poured his life out as a drink offering to serve the Philippians' spiritual interests. Or you can look at Timothy. And that's the next example in verse 20. And now one more. Epaphroditus. Okay, so that's the overall picture of the chapter. Now, here's the thing we need to know. Paul, he's given us these examples, but he doesn't just give us examples. He also teaches us how to follow them, strategies for how to follow example. And last week, we learned that by seeing the type of relationship that Timothy had with Paul. It was a father-son kind of relationship. That's one principle on how to follow a godly examples, mentoring relationships. That's last week. Now, this passage, we're going to learn another way, the effective way to follow example. And this one's interesting. You may not have thought of this one. Another way to successfully imitate the godly examples in the church is to highly honor them. Because what's honored in the church will eventually be imitated. Whatever's honored in the church will eventually be imitated. Plato made that uh, observation 2,400 years ago. He said, what is honored in a country is cultivated there. When Plato said that, he was talking about Sparta, the city of Sparta, which was known, they were famous for loving warfare and honoring fighting and conquest and all things military. And so, predictably, Sparta became very powerful because they were cultivating powerful warriors and they produced powerful warriors. Because whatever's honored in a culture, that is going to be cultivated there and people are going to aspire to that. Athens... Where Plato was, it was different. They honored intellect, and so they ended up producing some of the great philosophers that are still being studied to our day. What a culture honors, it will cultivate. And you can see that today even in our culture, right? The stuff we honor gets cultivated, even the bad stuff, right? I think of that with regard to sexual immorality and gender confusion. First it was fornication having sex outside of marriage before marriage then was homosexuality and then transsexualism and you can just do Transgenderism just one after another all three of those used to be frowned on in our culture and then one by one the culture would take put, it, make movies or Music that portrayed those things in a positive light had characters that did those things But they're heroes and and the more it was honored the more that stuff started being produced in our culture What a culture honors that it cultivates? And that process is, observ- is observable, not just in the culture as a whole, but also in, in your individual life. Isn't it true that if you look back, you can track some of the trajectory of your life by who you admired at the time? Good or bad, whoever you admired, didn't that bend the movement of your life as you were growing up? And it's the same way in the church. And that's the point Paul's making here. Paul commands us to honor men like Epaphroditus, not just because they're worthy of it. I mean, that's good enough reason to do it right there. But also because in honoring them, we will create a culture that will cultivate more of that. We'll end up imitating that. So one of the keys to imitation is honor. Take the people we want to imitate and honor them. Lift them up. Celebrate them. Make a big deal about them. That's one of the responsibilities of the church. God commanded it. You you think of all the responsibilities the church has. Do you think of that one? Honor men and women who are like Epaphroditus. It's a command. It may be, I think, that the church in general has become so concerned about not giving too much honor to men that we've gone too far in the other direction and not given any honor to men. I mean, we don't give honor where honors due, which is commanded in Romans thirteen seven. That's talking in the context of honoring our civil authorities. If that would apply to unbelieving government officials, how much more would it apply to men and women in the faith who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are worthy of honor? So, honoring the people we want to imitate. It's something that we're called to do. I think we don't do it much in the church. I'm guilty of not doing it. I think the culture, the world, actually does it better than we do. They make a huge deal about the people they admire. And and, and it works. <laughs> they produce more. I mean, uh, they they produce more of those kinds of people. You pay $20 million to an athlete, and guess what? Athletes start coming out of the woodwork. Everybody wants to be a superstar athlete, right? Because they want to aspire to what's honored in our culture. I just wonder, are there any kids who, any of our kids who come here and see how much a humble person is honored and respected at Agape and they they aspire to want to be like that? I want to be like that. Does that happen? The kids grow up here seeing selfless people or generous people or gracious people or zealous people or committed people and they they see how highly honored and respected those people are and they just want to grow up and be like that because of how much we celebrate that. Of all the church traditions that exist, can you think of any church tradition that's designed to honor men and women who are like Epaphroditus? There should be, right? It seems to me... Since we have an explicit, direct command in the Bible to do it, that would be a good tradition. Why don't we do that more? Why doesn't the church obey this command more? I can speak for myself. I think, I think it's probably the same reason I've failed to do it. I, it's because we watch the world go overboard with honoring men. I mean, they not only honor their heroes, they practically worship them, right? And they just go too far, and I think the church sees that. It's like, we don't want to do that. So we go all the way in the other and throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, we hardly honor people at all. I'll give you an example. I was my first year in college. I went to the master's college just shortly after. I think it was one year after John MacArthur became the president there. And I didn't have a vehicle, so I just had to bum a ride to church every Sunday. And finding a ride to John MacArthur's church at John MacArthur's seminary was next to impossible. It was really hard to find anybody that was going to that church. They didn't want to go there, and it wasn't because it wasn't because they were concerned about doctrine or anything. obviously they're going to his school. The reason they didn't want to go to his church is just for fear of being labeled a MacArthurite. You know? They were just worried about that. <laughs> they just they didn't want to be thought of as like a groupie or something, you know, and so they were they they wouldn't go to his church. So so they passed up the opportunity to sit under the preaching of one of the greatest Bible expositors of our time just so that they wouldn't be uh, accused of showing honor to a man. Timothy wasn't afraid of being called Paul's groupie, I don't think. <laughs> you can, I mean, he, he was he was a, a, um, a follower. We can give honor to those to whom honor is due without uh, idolizing them. We don't have to idolize. We don't have to lift, go overboard and lift people too much. But we do need to honor them. We must honor them. It's commanded. And it's not just commanded in this verse either. We see it in other places. First Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who labor at preaching and teaching. In 1 Corinthians 16, 15, it says, The household of Stephanus have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these, and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. Verse 18, recognize such men. Recognize them. Do it. Figure out who they are. Single them out and and recognize them. Honor them. That's the one command in this verse. That's the second one. The first one is, welcome them with great joy. So, Welcoming godly people, that's something that Jesus also talked about. Matthew 10, uh, verse 41. Anyone who welcomes a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. So the Bible's very clear. If there's someone in the church who demonstrates godly character, we are required by God to do two things. Welcome them with great joy and honor them. And that'll help us imitate them. That'll help the whole church culture imitate them. So, so let's talk about those two things, what, what it looks like to welcome and to honor. The first word, welcome, that's prosdekomai, which means to to welcome or to receive someone. And the idea of receiving is they're approaching you and your arms are just wide open. That's the picture. And the, And so the word itself... Points to a, a, a joyful, warm reception already, but Paul's not satisfied with that, so he adds this phrase: "Welcome him in the Lord with great joy." <laughs> now, let me ask you: What comes to your mind when you think of welcoming a person with great joy? What does that look like? I don't know what you think of. I think that's throwing a party, right? Isn't that what it, how you welcome someone with great joy? A party. I think uh, what comes to my mind is the way that the father welcomed the prodigal son when he came back. Remember that Luke 15 verse 22 says what the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. Right. That's welcoming with great joy. That's what comes to my mind when I I hear this phrase. Now, do we ever do anything like that in the church? And if we do, do we do it in ways that make such a big deal over certain godly virtues that people in the church have that other people would see that and aspire to have those same virtues? As I was studying this, I just couldn't help but to wonder if we as a church here at Agape are falling short of our partying responsibility. Right? <laughs> And I'm I'm dead serious with that. I mean that all seriousness. The command is very clear. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. The other word, honor, that word literally means to to hold in high esteem, to respect, to prize highly, or to regard as greatly valuable. Okay? that's, That's the command. And again... This is what the world does with their heroes. They they, they do they go all out. They get they call it VIP treatment, and they do it for uh, really shallow things—money uh, and fame mostly. Um, we're called to give VIP treatment, not to rich people. James is very clear about that. Remember in the book of James. Not to rich people, not to famous people, but we are to give VIP treatment to people who are like Epaphroditus. That we must do. So, you put those two together the joyfully welcome and highly honor and I, I basically what it comes down to is Paul is ordering them to give Epaphroditus a hero's welcome, right? A hero's welcome. And it always kind of makes me chuckle a little bit when I think about it because I'm trying to picture it happening. <laughs> They're reading this in the letter that Epaphroditus brought them, right? Uh, so he he already came I mean, he came, they greeted him, they gave whatever greeting and welcome they were going to give, and then he said, oh, and I got a letter from Paul, and so they opened the letter, and they're reading it, and, and then they read about how they're supposed to have welcomed him. <laughs> I, just, I just wonder if, you know, they're reading it, and some of them are like, oops, you know. But, but what, I, what I get from that is it seems to me that Paul, since Paul would know this, he would know they're not going to read this until after they've greeted him initially, that what he's talking about here is this extends beyond their just initial greeting. This is supposed to be an ongoing attitude towards people like Epaphroditus. Ongoing honor. I'm not sure exactly what that would look like. We could do it in formal ways, you know, giving awards, uh, special gifts of recognition to certain people, you know, announcing their name, whatever. It could be done in informal ways, uh, just having an attitude of great respect towards someone, high esteem towards someone. I think that the purpose of the former would be the latter, right? If we did something formal, it would be in order to generate the attitude of respect. Uh, the goal is for everyone to have that attitude. And I think if we did some things publicly, maybe that would help. Back when I was a youth pastor, I did this. I had a point system where we would award points to kids for, you know, whatever, some of the students for whatever they did. So if they, you know, we played a game in youth group, and if they won, then everyone on that team got like 10 points or something like that. If they brought their Bible to youth group, they'd get like 50 points. And if they memorized the passage of Scripture, they'd get like 100 points. But if we ever saw one of them uh, demonstrating godliness, like, Showing humility or selflessness, letting someone else go first or putting them first or going out of their way to welcome some, someone who's an outsider or admitting that they were wrong in a conflict or any, anything like that. You see, any of that godly care, time we saw, any one of the work or youth workers saw that on the spot, you'd give them like 5,000 points. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there's no catching up to those people. And it worked. I, it really did. It cultivated that, that atmosphere in the youth group and students started doing that more and more. It's great. It worked really good. That kind of thing is easy to do when you're dealing with people who are motivated by points. <laughs> but a little harder with mature adults. Because most of us, if, uh, if I gave you uh, 5,000 points, I don't know that that would really do anything for you. Most adults are motivated a lot more by you know, expressions of gratitude or a big hug or, or you know, a letter, something like that. Let's do this. Let's celebrate and honor people who are like Epaphroditus. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.